Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Matthew Carley. He's the Director of Innovation and Strategic Planning at Latacrete. So, Matthew, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. So, you're in innovations in, in the coding world. How did you, how did you get involved in that? Because, you know, I don't know too many people that just sort of jump into it. Like, what was your path to, to where you are today? So, the endeavor started about four years ago with our COO, Aaron Ernabrun, had a, a project he saw about, heard about, called the Listening Post. And the term, it, actually, to make it sound a little more cooler, even, is used by some spy agencies. Is they would have a guy sitting in a hotel in, in Libya or something and you know, be overhearing about some arms deals, right? So the idea is have an inside spot, to a vantage point, to hear what's happening in different industries. So we started as a side project doing our listening post, went out to California and spoke to a couple in, in Silicon Valley and Stanford and others that were starting to talk about construction tech. And we then you know, saw the momentum behind it and that grew into its own standalone department. But really in the scope of a year, it went from crazy ideas that, what, hey, what are we talking about to adoption in the company that, let's say collectively industry 4.0, there's major changes happening or about to happen in our industry that we need to be aware of. So listening post. Okay. So you, you went on this trip, you, you adopted some stuff. What, what is your mandate? Like you have sort of a, I'm going to try to sort of, sort of fast track a few projects a year, or is it just based on sort of opportunity? Like, how do you sort of gauge your effectiveness? Yeah, gauging effectiveness with innovation is definitely a challenge. Everybody does put their own metrics behind it, and so do we. We're, you, know, you want to see a return on what you're doing. So some of those are patents, our number of projects, number of ideas submitted, and kind of classic innovation metrics. But more than that, I think it's that intrinsic of seeing the company change and seeing others start responding. So it's, not, and personally, I think some of the best things we're doing don't always result, not maybe the best things, but some amazing things that we're doing and not having such a clear defined mandate means that you, you get that experimental time. So working closely with startups, first of all, I'm biased towards startups because they're solving a single problem. And that problem is something that might be secondary or tertiary for us is primary, that's all they do is solve, work on solving that one problem. And it's an opportunity to get voice of customer that is difficult to get from, a, from another angle. So a, a great example I like to use internally is a company out in Israel called BIM Match. And they're looking to take BIM, building information modeling, and turn it into a product selection and procurement tool. And Latercrete has been uh, avant-garde in that sense of building out BIM objects, but 
to get the opportunity to sit with architects that are routinely specifying products and how and why their logic behind building out the platform is it's an incredible opportunity. So it is back to the question, I guess it's hard to measure directly the success. I mean, we have had other projects like 3d printing that are on the, you know, starting a commercialization phase, but it's that iterative attitude that's, for me, the success is the company being open and willing to continue and invest more in experimenting is, for me, the biggest success factor that I see is, is that change in mentality, that change in culture, and seeing more and more of the team members coming on board to saying, hey, Matt, what, what do you have in my space? What, you know, what can I look at or how can we work together? And, and it's something very, very challenging to quantify, but we are just the momentum behind it. And it's not just because of the innovation team and our success. It's collectively this field of construction technology is booming from all angles, from investment sides, from innovation departments being started at different construction companies to podcasts like this. It's, it's really just you know, the industry is ready for change. And mm. it's that good timing that's serendipitous. Yeah, I'm trying to understand sort of your viewpoint because you you mentioned BIM and and I guess sort of these other sort of technology related things. Are you viewing those technologies as a sort of transition? For instance, Apple's transition more from a products company to a service company. Are you looking at it from that point of view? Are you looking at it from a let's understand the industry so that we figure out how to interface with the industry and add value at a higher level? How are you looking at it? Yeah, so more from the latter. Essentially, we later create our material supplier. Or conventionally, let's say in the past, we would say a manufacturer. Then we became a supplier. And I think now the next phase is becoming a partner. So the partner is, well, not just the right material or the higher, the better material, but it's the right material for the right job. And that's going to be dictated by improvement in all these, the, the tech stack that's out there in construction. So if your primary concern is logistics, there's different packaging configurations or uh, hardware equipment that can help in deployment, installation, staging of construction materials. If your primary is, let's say the environment, it's, it's very demanding environment like seismic activity or wind loads here in Florida, then you know, you're going to be focused on that. So when the parametric designs are working behind the scenes, we want to make sure that as your material partner, that we've put our in-house knowledge into these platforms and then matching up the, the real demand with the, the best fit product. And that's where there's just a huge arbitrage. It's even more than that. It's, it's kind of sad when you start to see or if you get the chance to really meet some of the talent we have in-house, like Art Minty is our technical director and uh, Randy Bright from the R&D side. These are guys that can take incredibly complex concepts or thought and process it into something so simple, but very few people get the opportunity to interface with them directly. And this is where if we had something that was making that process easier and taking some of their knowledge and putting it into the, the, the parametric design software and tech stack, it really opens up a new realm that anybody can tap into a lot of the in-house knowledge that was reserved for a select few in, in today's world. Mm. So you talked about liking startups 
So startups in the materials world, when they get going, what do you think their biggest barriers are to sort of growing? Is it their in-house knowledge? Is it competing against companies with economies of scale? Like what, what factors sort of stop companies sort of from growing? Are there any barriers? Are they, are they just doing fine? What's your insights on that? No, there's definitely, definitely barriers. It's a very complex question. I'll think for a second how to answer it. So from one side is the actual material itself. From the other side is the installation and application of the material. And the material itself for construction usage, first of all, it could go to other materials. So to give a shout out to a startup uh, that I think is doing really amazing work is one in Israel called SoCold that has a, a coating that can convert UV rays and have a cooling effect. It's a product that could go on roofs of a building or it could go in airplanes or cars or, or many other industries. So from a startup to have the most often startups are technically driven. So in this case, let's say a chemist. That chemist doesn't necessarily have the market knowledge, not to say that so-called doesn't, but in general speaking, they might not have that selling ability or market research knowledge to know, should I target construction? Is that the best use for it? Should I target automotive? Or And then once you start going down that path, then you have a prototype and the prototype to scale process is very, very challenging. And personally, I think that's where most face the largest barriers. So whether it's uh, code approval or if it's localization is, is another big one. So these are two we definitely face daily with construction 3D printing. Scalability is, you know, it's nice to produce it and work with academia in the Netherlands, but you can't just logistically or scalable send that to Dubai, for example, and expect that to be a sustainable model that is the freight alone is cost prohibitive. The ambient conditions change dramatically. There's even new variables introduced in transport of material potentially coalescing or switching from one container package to another. So it's, when you talk about new materials, it's nice to see, well, in a lab, the prototype works, but then getting that also working at scale in the construction industry is really where a partner, again, that the, where I see later creates arbitrage or an advantage is we could be that partner to help bring it to, to market and commercialize it at scale. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So. Yeah, localization definitely uh, strikes a chord as well. So you're saying, just to summarize, it's the go-to market strategy, the ability to execute or create a plan that makes sense, the knowledge of the local market, and the ability to sort of execute and learn and make the adjustments is hard to scale unless you have a large organization or partner group that can help you navigate that. Is that sort of a kind of summary? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So, and, okay. And sometimes, uh, sorry to cut you off there. Sometimes they, startups often go down a track before you know, they're more act quickly, right? So that initial market research is really tricky to get it, to start you going down the right path from the beginning. Mm, yeah. So they, maybe they burn a lot of funds or something and they... Maybe they have some unrealistic expectations and maybe that stops them from partnering effectively? Correct. Okay. Or, or like what you mentioned, uh, the code, for example. 
there are ways to, let's say with 3D construction printing, we can still print. There's exceptions to code or there's ways to have a building be permanent and still move forward without having officially the stamp of approval that this is a code compliant material. So that there's ways to get moving and have traction without, if we were to just throw all our resources at just code, which is a a multi-year process at best, it would just, running everything in in a linear fashion like that would quickly burn out a lot of startups. Mm, Okay. Now, I know that some of the, the very, very big material companies partner with universities. What are your views on that? So universities increasingly um, are universities also have a commercialization arm first of all so they're interested in the commercialization of the material they're also interested in the publishing of the research so it works easier and quicker if the research is more fundamental in focus because then you don't necessarily need to bring in so much of the of the legal side behind it to figure out how you're going to commercialize it and you're just okay, we're doing this, it's beneficial for everybody, it's more of a thought experiment and on that side of the fundamental research. But when you start getting into development plans, like supplementing what an in-house R&D function would be doing, and it gets uh, who and how are the rights to commercialize something. But we are seeing more and more of these consortiums being formed with a direct industry application so I think we're seeing a change of that. I think COVID is also impacting how universities view and just their, their whole business model in general of being in the sources of higher education. And now they're, they're looking more to be connected to the, the world. I think we're seeing more continuous education taking shape as well, where you know, it's not just this four-year degree or a master's or a PhD. It's in, in a, universities need to be an active role throughout your entire working career. So I think we're seeing very positive directions towards closer university collaboration and innovation factories or getting students more hands-on experience so they're not leaving the, the university with just uh, theoretical research. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Let's say you have a startup, you're interested in working with them, the terms are good. What sort of ways do you work with them? Do you, do you sort of take over the material production side and there's a licensing agreement? Or like what, what can a startup expect working with a company like you guys? So we want to align to kind of supplement but not have redundancy. So when it comes to material expertise, uh, that's, I think, the, the single strongest alignment that we have. And then we also remove that scale part. So this scaling up, I mean, we still internally have to meet certain criteria to, there's the opportunity cost when we start wanting to run projects of prototype or proof of concept material on our plants and our facilities, we're not producing ready commercial material. Um, So you're fighting for time. But if we focus on that initial R&D expertise in the material science, we can really get a product going and run it alongside the company much longer until that startup has its own momentum and and scale that if and when the full production arm of Ladycrete needs to come in the picture, that's an easier ask. Obviously, there'll be some lab scale and even 
larger than lab scale production batches made to help support that startup. But the the core is our material science, material and the marketing information and the, the connection to the construction world. So being able to know from a technical standpoint, this is going to work. These are the people you need to, to partner with. Structuring the, the business side as well, we can help with from an early stage. And then as far as investments go, we don't have a defined venture arm. We are considering always looking at uh, investment potential, but we don't have the defined fund that we're looking to invest directly in startups. Yeah, very cool. Now let's look at the uh, the macro side of things. You touched on the digitization side of things. I know you've written an article about that. Can you elaborate on the opportunity of the digitization of the construction industry? Yeah, so my dream here, I like to focus on the the far post-build world first. And I like to look at just consumer trends that are happening regardless. So the construction industry, let's oversimplify it as a service to produce a product. And let's define that as the housing product. So what I see is the digitization is really the, the supply side getting ready to meet consumer demands. And uh, consumer demands is transparency and and what are we receiving? So I envision a world where going to be purchasing homes uh, that have a clear digital copy. You get your digital key alongside your physical key, if we even still have physical keys at that point. And your digital key tells you all the materials and, and how it was built, when it was built, and connects you directly with the knowledge source. So I mentioned before about you know, our, our in-house technical experts. So you would know, and your insurance company would know, and IKEA, if you want to redo your kitchen, would know exactly what's the dimensions of your home, where are the studs, how could they best tie into, or where are the connection points, or where can they best tie in what uh, their modified prefab components are going to look like to plug into to your housing product. Same from insurance. So you, you know, if you're built with the, the premium window or the builder grade window, the insurance company is going to know that. The electrical company is going to know that. And there'll be an incentive so that your house that's going to use less electricity is going to be have an extra value of when it goes to, for resale. So rather than just the linear calculations, which we're starting today, like saying, okay, we, we have a new roof put on two years and a roof typically lasts 20 years. But in the future, it's going to be connecting directly to the weather reports. And you know that if there's 10 days of over 100 degree weather, it's going to have this impact and shorten the lifespan or something like that. So, or 20 hailstorms a year is enough to take a, a, a year off the lifespan of that roof. So then you will quickly be able to estimate the operating cost in totality of your building. Yeah, no, it's, it's very good. Now, are there any companies that would sort of have a business model that would resist that change? It sounds great on how uh, thing, things would optimize. Mm-hmm. Like who, who will sort of drag their feet towards this change? So the people I think that would drag their feet more are the ones that are either one, have a lot of hidden costs that are not, or hidden, uh, let's call it costs that are not uh, prices that, that are not necessarily value add in the equation. So 
a lot of the administrative stuff that you see being passed around or even selling costs that is being passed off to the consumers. The other ones that might, uh, the companies that are built around complete scale, so a track home builder, when we start pushing customization and saying, well, you can still achieve a price point at uh, of a very premium housing product, but at a price point that's slightly above the track home price, because again, that the track home builder, I'm just talking about housing, that track home builder has a lot of selling cost. They have to build a model, have somebody come there and man- maintain the showroom. They have to sh- explain to you why this is the best neighborhood and this new whole development. They have sunken cost of time in that they, they bought all that land. They're, they're developing all new, new scratch land and it's all greenfield and they're responsible for the infrastructure and this and that. So there's a lot that goes into these mega projects to be successful where if you decentralize that and have all of it into a digital model with the right partnerships and get, again, a, a premium housing product at a competitive cost, not necessarily matching the track home cost. But I think there, there's a lot there that of untapped market that th- these people would be fearful for. Uh, but fortunately, I think we are seeing, again, them be cognizant of that. And there's large housing developers that are investing in technology, like the one I'm most familiar with, 3D printing, we're seeing them investing. So in a way, it's adding credibility to the, the is substantiating that, yes, these, this is a viable threat, that decentralized, highly customized, competitive price products that is what the consumers are asking for is coming and uh, we better also invest in these startups. So I think anybody that has, would be fearful of this new technology is there, are already looking into it and and, and investing in it as well. So I'm optimistic that it's a good sign towards change. Yeah. So people, I guess some people that are listening, listen to you talk about you spending your days learning about new ideas, hanging out with entrepreneurs that are exploring sort of new areas in the future and thinking, man, I wish I had his job. What would you tell people that, that wanted to do what you're doing on any advice you can give them on, on how they can get there? Or at least your thoughts. Yeah. So the, what we're talking about is the fun part. <laughs> the, uh, the, the challenging part and the frustration is we are working on some stuff that is, let's say, three steps ahead. Um, and rightfully so, there's a lot of reasons why you you jump ahead, but the backtracking is equally as important to, to take the baby steps forward. So you take an idea like this this future home, now we have to break it apart and go three steps backwards to then move again the steps forward. So that's a lot of seeding ideas with different departments. And then also we're asking people to do extra work. You know, the, everyone's already tapped out with their day jobs. So they don't want, and their day jobs are structured around that incremental improvement of what we're already offering. Uh, I think every company faces that, right? So you showing up and saying, hey, I have this amazing thing that's happening five years from now, 10 years from now is nice and it sounds fun, but the bridging is a lot of work. And that's where, and also you, sometimes you chase things that might be smoke and mirrors. <laughs> So you know it's frustrating there as well. Sometimes when you're a believer in what's happening, and then you you find out that it was just um, kind of an investment bubble of people carrying the same enthusiasm without really 
doing the diligence behind it. But to get where I'm at or advice to to do what I'm doing, I think is personally it's passion. Timing uh, is a big factor. Right now, like I said, construction technology is exponentially growing. I think people are finally seeing this convergence. Timing is right, that uh, the technology is here. Again, COVID, putting restrictions on the job site and more people being cognizant of automation, reduction in skilled labor, rising costs to pretty much operate a business and the interconnectedness of everything else. The expectation is pretty much there. And so if you have a passion for putting these puzzle pieces together and finding and looking into this new technology, I think the right job will, will you know, show itself. But it's most likely going to be a side project or something in addition to your day job, foreseeable <laughs> transition period. Most of these positions, talking to my contemporaries, is unless you're strictly in the finance part of it, a venture arm that's analyzing projects for investment, but an internal corporate type or integrator type position is most likely created. And I think there's a lot of people that have demonstrated the passion and just said, hey, you know what? I spoke to, to Tats and I spoke to this guy and I think we can do this at our company. You bring it up, you know, a level or something and someone says, you know what, I believe in it, go for it. And you start taking a couple steps. Maybe that project turns into a full-time position and, and you're fortunate, or maybe it was just a great learning experience. But the, I, I think where there's the passion and the, where there's a will, there's a way. And it's the timing is now, there, it, this is definitely happening around us. So it's better start early and look at the problems around you. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's like the post-it note. Just don't wait for permission. Start, start trying to create some value and insight and, and see where it goes. Yep, yep. Good. Is there, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? So for me, it's, it's really an invitation that I would love. Why do I do stuff like this? I'd love more ideas and more thought or discussion to come my way and come to, towards later Crete. So if anybody's curious of how we can be a better supporting partner, uh, if there's questions or something I said that, hey, let's pursue that thought for another minute of, I think I have something I can add there. I'd love for people to reach out. And it's, in my opinion, we just keep having the conversation often enough and the, the right people are coalescing, finding each other. And it, it's, that's how we're building the future. So it's the, the ask is an open invite to please reach out. Awesome. Perfect. All right. Well, thank Matthew. And yeah, we appreciate the insight. Cool. All right. My pleasure. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.